Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast, a radio show coming to you on this Sunday, January the 16th, 2022. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we are talking about the top six marriage-killing money issues. Boom. That was a mouthful. Uh, we'll dig in into detail there for all of you guys who are married. Maybe you're going to be married. Maybe you were married. Maybe you'll get married again. And obviously, all of us use money in some way, shape, or form. So I think it can benefit all of us. We'll share our take, and hopefully, you get some little nuggets of amazing information out of our rambling. But before I kick in, quick reminder: this podcast is brought to you by Drumroll, please. My homies at Athletic Greens. You guys already know the drill, the one thing I take every single day. If you want to check it out, you can go to the site, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott for a year's supply of free vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first order. Now, if this is the first episode you've ever heard, or maybe you've listened to me for 450-some-odd episodes, Athletic Greens is not only the best-tasting greens on the planet, that's not even debatable. Uh, if you want to check it out, in one simple scoop or in a travel pack, you guys are going to get 75 whole food ingredients with probiotics and digestive enzymes. And if you understand the immune system and how much lives in your gut, this is ideal for you. Also, the antioxidant equivalent to 10 to 12 servings of fruits and veggies in a single pack. How easy is that? Now, if you're tired of taking 14 different pills or you're a person who struggles to eat enough vegetables, which... Even I do. It's just hard to get in that many different types of fruits and veggies in an entire day and have it fit your macros and not be like this disgusting, you know, kind of bloated fart monster. You've all been there. You've ate too many Brussels sprouts and then any late night uh, frisky business is definitely off. So that's why I take Athletic Greens and I eat as many greens, obviously, on top of that. So if you guys want to check it out, I'm happy to send you a free sample pack right to your front door. I don't care where you live, what state, country, providence, does not matter. Message us any way you can. Monica will take a pack and send it right to you. You can try it for free and then get hooked up with all the free stuff, the vitamin D and the travel packs from there. Again, the site, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott to get hooked up or message us for the free sample today. Also, we're brought to you by our friends at Dry Farms Wine. The site is dryfarmwines.com slash Jeremy Scott Fitness. Each person, when you order a bottle of wine, you get the next bottle, <clears throat> excuse me, for a penny. Pretty awesome deal. It's basically buy one and get one free. It's a pure natural wine, and by their estimations, less than 0.01% of all the world's wines meet their strict criteria. Uh, I did not know this before working with them, that there is up to 76 FDA-approved additives thrown into various types of wines, including higher levels of sugar and alcohol, which tends to not be so great for your body. Now, their wine is organic, obviously lower alcohol, sugar-free, free of the toxic additives, and tastes amazing. So if you guys are wine drinkers and you want to check it out, this is the healthier way to do it. Obviously, all of it in moderation. Uh, also great for gifts as well. So you order a bottle, get the next bottle for a penny. Pretty amazing. The site, dryfarmwines.com, slash Jeremy Scott Fitness, or message us for some details. Heather can give you the detailed breakdown, as she is definitely the wine expert in our house compared to me, who knows little to nothing. Also, we're brought to you by our friends at Beam CBD. The site is beamtlc.com. 
If you go to the site, you can put in the code Jeremy Scott for 20% off all products, 35% off all subscriptions. I tend to take the dream product most nights to go to sleep. Uh, CBD in there. There's no THC, so you won't get high. It will not leave you feeling groggy in the morning. It's not habit forming. It's just a healthy way for you guys to not only get to sleep, but more importantly, stay asleep so you can wake up feeling rested and ready to kick ass the rest of the day. I also have probably a couple hundred packs of those. If you guys want to try it, I'll send you, you know, maybe two, three nights worth. See if it works for you. If it helps you get to sleep and stay asleep, then you can get on the beam train with me. Again, the code is Jeremy Scott and the site is beamtlc.com. We are also brought to you by my friends at JLab Pro. This is where we get our protein, our turmeric, our collagen, and our krill oil. Right now on January the 16th, I believe the code NY25 is going to get you 25% off. We typically have discounts on the protein and the collagen always. Uh, again, the site, jeremyscottfitness.jlabpro.com. The protein, sweetened with stevia. I've known Jay for a long time. Great dude, great products. Uh, that's why we work with them probably over a decade now at this point. Uh, I always mention we do have a free supplement guide and a smoothie guide for you guys who are looking for maybe sexier ways to kind of make your post or pre-workout shakes and your smoothies as well. So hit me up. And again, if you have questions on any of the supplements, just ask. I'll send the guide over and you guys can check it out. And last but not least, our partners at Kettle and Fire Bone Broth. The best tasting bone broth, hands down, and also I believe the healthiest. If you're looking for something that not only tastes great and is good for your gut and your digestive health, this would be the thing I would throw in. They don't just do bone broth. They have soups and chilies. They're all amazing. They do. They're addicting is, is where I'm going with this. They're, it's hard to stop at eating just like one cup or one box. So I will give you guys the, uh, the warning right there ahead of time. But they don't put any trash in there. No antibiotics, no hormones, no artificial flavors or colors, no extra sodium. They only use legit cattle and chicken. Humanely raised, uh, grass-fed, grass-finished, which is super important for you guys when you're looking to add healthy foods into your day. You can use the code SCOTT20 for 20% off. I can send you a partner link as well, or if you just go to the Kettle and Fire Bone Broth site and put in the code SCOTT20, it'll save you guys at the checkout. Boom. Here we are. Welcome, Heather. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm stuck with you yeah. for, for better or for worse. <laughs> uh, okay. So before I kick into the six marriage killing money issues here, I do want to share something that... Um, Sagar from Breaking Points threw up on Instagram, and I believe this came from NPR, and then Fox News had reshared it, and a bunch of other uh, people threw it out there. Now, I'm not a huge fan of traditional media, so I definitely would not have seen this myself, but there was a quote on there I thought uh, I had to share with you guys. I, I reposted it on my Instagram story, if you guys caught it, maybe not, and it was, uh, don't let your doctor weigh you. And there's a quote in here, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase as I read through it. If you're going to the doctor, one thing is that you do not have to be weighed. It is your right to decline to be weighed. And so that you can certainly decline when you go. The other thing is let your provider know that you would like medical care from a health at every size perspective and that you would not want to discuss weight or weight management at your visit and that you have the right to ask for that. That's kind of the end of the quote. 
Now, I'm not being critical here if you guys have 20 pounds to lose, 50 pounds to lose, 100 pounds to lose. If you feel sexy and confident being 200 pounds over your natural weight, respect. I think that's amazing and I'm, I'm happy for you. This is not about vanity here. It's about being healthy. And I don't care who you are. You might like it, but being if I was sitting here today 415 pounds and I felt like a sexy beast, that's cool, but that's not healthy. Those are two different things. So I'm not bagging on body image here. I'm not bagging on you if you, if you like what you look like. But if you are massively overweight, we know now, we have all the research, all the statistics, you are more susceptible to damn near everything that's ever going to come your way, whether it's COVID, obviously heart disease, high blood pressure, hypertension, heart attack, joint issues, you name it. So this go to the doctor and pretend like being 100 pounds overweight is not an issue is complete horseshit. Absolutely. I mean, the the amount of stress that you're putting on your organs, like you mentioned, your whole body from the inside out, your joints, and just statistically <laughs> how it's going to negatively impact you at some point in your life um, it are, it sooner already, than later. It yeah. already does if you don't realize it. And so I'm not, again, I'm not, you know, fat shaming anybody. I'm not weight shaming. It's just, it's the reality. It's going to steal years off your life. And even if you're the genetic person who you made it to 90, being 200 pounds overweight, which I don't really, I don't see a lot of 95 year old people who are that big. Mm -hmm. I'm just throwing it out there. But even if you are, I think the quality the of your quality life. quality of your life will suffer. And I shared that. And uh, a doctor friend of ours, who is an anesthesiologist, uh, replied, I'm not going to read the, the full uh, reply because there's a lot of swear words. Um, in here, which is funny enough, but basically they go on to say, um, in reply to that, I literally do weight-based drug dosing on a daily basis. Like that's literally part of their job. Like you're not going to give a, you know, 120 pound person and a 300 pound person the same dose. It just doesn't work well, that there's way. There's so much more risk involved when you are obese or at, you know, a substantially higher weight to undergo surgeries that they have to protect you even more because you are, you know, ultra sensitive. What I would say to anybody is the takeaway is, again, I'm not, if you're feeling a certain kind of way, because I read that it's not meant as an attack for you, but to understand that you have, there's a problem there and just try to avoid it or not look at it is not going to do you any good. It's, I'm a, I'm not an affirmation person, right? Like I'm not against, like I'm a, I'm a positive thinking human, but these, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. Most of you guys know that. And the way I think of this is if my dad's like, Hey, you know, Jeremy go shovel the driveway, which I'm going to touch on that in a second. Uh, and I look outside and I say, there's no snow, there's no snow, there's no snow. No, there's snow. I have to go shovel it. I just can't pretend there's not snow piling up in the driveway. There's a problem. We can't move the cars in and out. If it's, you know, three feet of snow, I have to go take care of it. It's the same thing if you got 150 pounds to lose. You can't just ignore it. You, you need to, I'm not saying live on the scale, but when you go to your physical, it's a pretty good idea. Like it's an indication of like what's going on. If you gain 35 pounds in a year, something's not probably not right. 
you need to address it. This well, isn't whole, that the whole point of going to the doctor is to get a health checkup? And so why even make the appointment if you're not going to follow the instructions on how to be healthier? It'd be like, it'd, it'd be the equivalent of saying, well, just put, do all my blood work, but don't, um, don't do my cholesterol. Don't do my blood pressure. I don't want to see it. Like, and it's, it's not easy for us. Like it's effort every day to be healthy. It's so hard, you know, and we're not, we're not downplaying that at all. No, it's ridiculously hard. I think, uh, well, I had Colleen Fosh on obviously last Sunday and you guys have probably seen her pictures at this point. She's, and I mean this in the most loving way possible. She's an amazing human. She's a freak show. Like she doesn't look like a normal person. And her and I were having a conversation off the air and she was saying, I think people oftentimes think it's, it's just easier if you're fit. I know. It's easier to get motivated. And I, I framed it to her the opposite way. I always say, yeah, I do this for a living and there's a financial incentive and there's all these things that go on. But if I, I come in here and train every day, am I going to get way stronger at this point? No. Am I going to get way leaner at this point? No. Am I going to build way more muscle at this point? No. I'm just kind of just holding on to what I have. Where if you're the person who's just starting, it's only up for you. Like, sky's the limit. You're going to lose probably five pounds in the first couple of weeks you're here. Like, everything for you is going to improve. And you're going to gain so much happiness and joy and just overall a positive, healthy feeling that will just make you enjoy your everyday life so much more than instead of like choosing the heart of suffering, having to deal with that pain and suffering every day, like which heart are you going to choose? Agree. When you want to choose the heart that brings you more happiness and just overall health, mind, body, spirit. Yeah. It's, it's, you're going to pay the price either way. And I would rather pay it and have it pay me back in the long run. And I just want to share that obviously it has nothing to do with money or marriage. Um, she did also, um, our doctor friend messaged us and said, did you see the article saying that people over 45 shouldn't shovel because it's too strenuous? Like 45, like maybe if you're 95, <laughs> but even then dude, like, you know, I'll, I'll say this. My old man, um, has a snowblower now we didn't as a kid, obviously that was a luxury item. We didn't have the money for it. And now he's, how old my dad? 64, 60, I think 64. And I think maybe he got a snowblower in the last 10 years at, at most. So that means my, you know, my old man was shoveling his ass off for the last 50 some years. <clears throat> and I don't think that's too strenuous or stressful for him. Some of those days, it's probably the most physical activity he got. Mm -hmm. And it was beneficial for him. And it's just, it's things like this where... I'm not a fan of it. Again, I'm not saying like be the hardest person ever and, and you know, be ready to go through Navy SEAL training every day, but to... You need to have some resistance. Yes. And, and push yourself a little bit so you are able to break through. And honestly, man, a lot of times in life, the only way to get better is when people start calling you on your shit and nobody likes to hear it. Nobody likes to hear, man, you have a money spending problem. Um you're 150 pounds overweight, you're always late to your appointments, you're unorganized. You're, but when people call you on it and you see the problem, you can identify it and then take the steps to improve it. But just by ignoring it and acting like 
magically it's going to get better. Every year you're getting older, softer, and wrinklier unless you are fighting against it. So just pretending like it's not a problem is the, literally probably the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I would hope no legit medical professional would support that. Yes. <laughs> so sorry to get on a rant. Um, but I just, I had to, uh, had to throw it out there before we begin. Uh, I go one more thing just to rip through um, kind of on the same note. And I thought it'd be good to share it here. Now, John Russin, who is a fitness professional like myself, he wrote this, I I don't even remember when. I saved it probably a couple weeks back, and it just kind of fit in here. And posing a question, does hiring a quality coach cost money? And the answer is obviously yes, but not compared to wasting time and not getting results. What most people don't consider is what is the cost of staying the same? First, there's a long-term cost, ineffective training, diet, led to obviously, you know, these debilitating diseases, joint pain, low energy, libido, and a lower quality of life. And second, there's a real cost of wasted time. And that results in losing most of your, you know, you know, previous resources, your your time is the most valuable thing you have. And I want to run through like hypothetical numbers here for people. And again, this is not a, I'm not saying work with me. If there's a local coach you want to go to, or there's a place you can go. And I've always said this, you're going to do better with a goal, accountability, and a coach. That's the same for me. It's the same for Heather and everybody listening and everything you do in your life. Even the best basketball talent in the world, like they have a coach for a reason. Yes, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman were way better than Phil Jackson ever was at basketball, but they did better because Phil put them together. He's the coach. So if you go through the numbers, if you train for, let's say, four hours a week and you spend two hours per week consuming like fitness-related content and commuting to the gym, that's six hours per week, which is 312 hours per year. You divide that by a typical 40-hour work week, and that comes out to be 7.8 or 8 weeks dedicated to your fitness. And let's say you make $70,000 a year. Eight weeks of pay comes out to $1,346 per week or $10,796 in eight weeks. If you're not getting the results you want and you're unsatisfied with your progress, you could say it's costing you eight weeks of your time, opportunity costs where you could be doing something you enjoy, or it's costing you $10,769. There's a real cost of staying the same that extends far beyond the obvious lack of progress, lower energy, mental focus, confidence, a general feeling of hopelessness when you're not making progress despite working your ass off every single day. In this case, the cost is eight weeks of opportunity or $10,769. So is hiring a coach to transform your physical body and your life expensive? Maybe it's just a drop in the bucket compared to staying the same. I look at that like I look at everything in my life. Do I have a fitness coach? I don't have one right now. This is what I do every day. I have a bunch of fitness friends who are professionals that we always share best practices with. But I'll tell you, I have a CPA that I pay. I have a financial advisor that I pay. When we need legal stuff, we have attorneys that we pay. These are all coaches is the way that I look at them. I can go to them with questions. They can help me solve a problem. Yes, they cost money. But they're saving me not only money, they're saving me time, which is my most precious resource. That's the way I think of fitness. So if you're on a journey right now 
you've been working your ass off, eating right, training hard, but you're just not seeing the results you want, I would argue with you, it's costing you way more not to have a coach than have a coach. Because I think it can save you time, effort, energy, and it can accelerate your results tenfold. That's my two cents. So. Doesn't got to be me. If you live somewhere else and there's somebody you want to work with, I am happy to point you in the right direction if that would help you guys. So hit me up and I'm happy to go from there. So 20 minutes in. Now, top six, marriage, killing money issues. Uh, basically going to dig into how we can kind of prevent these from damaging your relationship. If you've already had some and kind of navigate what we've done as a team and we're, uh, we've been together for, feels like, <laughs> feels like forever. hundred years. <laughs> but, uh, it's been four, is it 14 total? Uh, no, not quite like 13. I'm just, I'm, I'm just optimistic. We're going to make it to 14. That's why I'm throwing <laughs> it out there. Uh, and being completely uh, transparent, we have fought about money before. Oh yeah. Many times screaming uh, matches <laughs> at each other. Not, not in, I don't think in, in years, probably two years. It was more like early on in our relationship when we moved in, to, moved in together and before we were married. Yeah. And, uh, and pay, while we were paying off the house, we had some yes disagreements, but since then we haven't, we're more mature. We're older. There's just, we're, th- we're on the same page, same page with our financial goals. So the first one is what's mine is yours and ours. Yeah. So sometimes like when each spouse works and they can't agree on financial issues or find time to talk about them, they decide to split you know, the bills down the middle or allocate them in a, some sort of way that's they think is fair. But what happens is um, when each, when the bills have been covered, each spouse can t- spend what they want and have left um, and choose what they want to spend it on. And it sounds like a reasonable plan, but typically it causes issues later on. So if it also divides spending power, so eliminating much of the financial value of marriage, as well as the ability to plan for long-term goals such as buying a home or securing retirement. It can lead to relationship behavior, relationship ruining behavior like financial infidelity um, when one spouse starts to hide the money from the other, which is a big no-no. <laughs> That's um, Somebody told us a story about that once where... I think the husband had a whole like second life and spent everything they had and didn't tell the wife, which to me, it's just as bad as you going and having sex with somebody else. I agree. Yeah. That's rough. So bill splitting also pushes down the road, any planning and building about how, how to handle financial burdens that can arise, such as if one spouse loses a job, decides to cut back on hours, or takes a pay cut to try a new career. Um, it could be leaving the workforce to raise children, go back to school, um, care for another parent. These are all examples. So you really need to have a plan and be on the same page. So when these burdens do happen, you are able to work with your partner as a team and financially support the other instead of um, completely splitting it up and basically living two separate lives financially. So I'm an idiot. I'm trying to understand this. So So some people are married, but they split their bills 
completely down the middle. So like, say for example, we're grocery shopping. Yes. Like I would pay for half of the groceries and you would pay. Remember we started to do that when we first were dating and we moved in together, like after a year and remember splitting up the groceries and I would pay for some and then you would pay for some. We did. Yes. How did we do the mortgage? Did I just pay it? I don't remember. Uh, so long ago. Um, That's a terrible idea. Almost like your roommates in college, like how you do it in college. You would but you split. do it for, so you split the phone bill? Or it's like you take the phone bill and whatever's equal in, in you know, your mind or as a couple, what makes sense to you. But typically it just causes issues later on. Is that like where couples will have separate, like they have separate accounts? Right. I'm not a fan of that either. Like you're not, you don't have a joint checking account. I think that's stupid. Sorry, anybody. I'm not judging you. I just don't think that's... Well, and the experts always advise against it is what they're saying in this article too. Because you're a team. It's just going to get a lot more confusing as you start to grow together and um, build wealth. I just don't see how you're able to, to not have it shared. Well, you're... You're acting as individuals, which you are, I understand, but you've joined into this partnership. It's a business. So if you want to look at this, not re- this is the only thing we do. It's not relationship-based. Obviously, like we're in a relationship, but it's transactional. We, You and I have entered into a business. We're a 50-50 business. So why would I, well, this is what I made for the business. This is what you, no, no, this is what we made for our business. The language has to change. It isn't, I don't see how you would be successful. Like if I was making this money, you were making your money and we're hiding it. Or we weren't talking about, hey, we're going to buy a house together. We're mm-hmm. going to take a trip together or your retirement. If I didn't know what you had in your accounts yeah. and you didn't know what I had, how are we ever going to pick a date where you can retire, I can retire, and we can retire together? Yeah, just to be able to set those goals and have this established timeline on what you want to achieve together in your life. Like I just don't see how it would work completely having it separated or hiding it from the other person. Yeah. So real quick, I just want to say, if you can just change the language you use, and this is a big one, it's not hers, it's not mine, it's ours. Mm -hmm. You join into something collectively. And I'm sorry if you make 10 times what your partner makes and you're pissed about it, you pick the wrong partner. Sorry, dude. Like, it's like, it's okay. It doesn't matter. You're now you're a unit as one. Mm -hmm. You can figure it out. Number two, debt, the big one for most people. Yeah, from school loans to car loans, credit cards. If you have like gambling habits, most people come to the altar with financial baggage, which um, that did happen to us when we first met. (laughs) If one partner has more debt than the other or if one partner is debt-free, this can spark issues and, um, you know, just make it difficult for discussions about income spending and debt servicing coming up. So I don't want to interrupt you, but when we got married, I don't think we had any because we were No, we I said were when old. we met. Oh yeah, when we were old. So when we like first moved in to, together after like a year of dating. <laughs> I was trying to save money. Um, Thrifty. I still had student loan. I had a car payment, so car loan. So I was able to pay that off um, in credit card debt before we got married. And you had some debt too when we first met as well. I had, uh, I think I paid it off by the time I bought my condo. I had care credit 
for my LASIK eye surgery because I didn't have, what does LASIK cost? Like four grand? I didn't have $4,000. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but we are both, again, when you're both broke, I feel like it's easier because you're both kind of like losers in the money game and you just kind of get together. But we, we had a conversations to clean that up relatively quickly because it just, it was holding us back anyway. Sorry to interrupt you. Right. And I think we both knew, okay, well, if we eventually are going to buy a house after we sell this condo, we need to start saving and get on the same page as to what our financial goals look like for the future. Um, and they say people in such situations may take some solace in knowing that debt brought into a marriage stay with the person who incurred them and not and are not extended to a spouse. It won't hurt your credit rating, which is linked to social security numbers and tracked individually. That said, in most states, those that operate under what is called common law, debts incurred after marriage jointly are owed by both spouses. And well, there's actually nine states, including Arizona, um, which all properties and debts are shared after marriage, regardless of individual or joint account status. Really? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Interesting. So in these, well, I'll, I'll read them off. So Arizona, California, Nevada, Idaho, Washington, New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, and Wisconsin. In these community property states, you are not liable for most of your spouse's debt that was incurred before marriage, but any debt incurred after the wedding is automatically shared, even when applied for individually. So if I go out today and <laughs> just buy... Start gambling. <laughs> yeah, just start gambling or I buy... Oh my God, I would like kill you. I buy a G-Wagon. It's on you. Mm-hmm. You got to pay it. Oh, could you imagine? I would... I don't want to say I would kill you, but I'd kill you. You'd be a you'd be on Dateline missing. I know that for sure. Um, yeah, pretty crazy. So good to know. That's nuts, man. Uh, the debt thing is a big one uh, for a lot of people. Uh, I'm not gonna go super in depth on it. You guys obviously know my stance on it. I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge debt person. I don't really. Really. Uh, <laughs> Again, I understand leveraging. I understand you don't pay taxes on loans and debt, and you can you can acquire a lot more wealth quicker if you're willing to play the leverage game. I'm not against it. It's just not. I, I'm not. Again, I also don't need a hundred million dollars. It's not. It, if it happens, if I end up getting a hundred, super cool. But that's not that's not my goal. I just think for a lot of people, it can put you in a bad spot, and it can make you do things you don't want to do just for money and just to kind of live in that space. So if you're if you're currently in debt with your partner, just be open about it, be transparent about it. And if you want to devise a plan, you know, to kind of get out of that, I think it, it would be ideal for most of you. It's a freeing feeling. For a lot of people, debt is, it's like a weight that's uh, it's holding you back, especially like the, the shitty debts. Now, if you're a person, you just bought a house for the first time and your mortgage rate is 3%, like historically, like you're, you're in a different boat, dude. I remember when, like my parents bought one of their first homes, their interest rate was like 15, 16%. No, obviously we live in a different world now and things are strange. But if you want to keep that, I have no issue with it because you're going to probably make more money on the rest for investments. However, if you're a person who has, you know, credit cards out there at 18%, that's killing you. It, it literally, the juice is always running and it, it's murdering you over time. And the same thing for like student loans and those things. If you can clean those up, you know, together, your money's going to go a lot further. Instead of paying interest to somebody else, you can invest in things and assets that are going to pay you interest over time. 
but be transparent with your partner. Like, hey, this is really what it's costing us. And, you know, I just think the less debt you have in your life, the more financial freedom you have and the less stress you're going to have overall. Absolutely. Number three, personality. Yeah, so personality can play a big role in financial discussions and habits about money. So even if both partners are debt-free, the age-old conflict between spenders and savers can play out in multiple ways. So it's important to know what your money personality is as well as what your partner's is and then discuss these differences openly. Um, I would say when I was younger, I was more of a spender, actually. But I never was, like, extreme. Um, And I've actually evolved into more of a saver now, (laughs) more than ever. So you can change. I think it comes with education depending on your goals, um, as well as just like maturity, all those factors, and then just your shared goals with your partner. No, you were, uh, I like to shop, but it, um, I still was very conservative. Like with my car, I always would buy like a Honda or like, I never was extreme, but I did have an obsession. I still do with Nordstrom and things like that. You do? (laughs) But, um, that was the only time I probably ever got mad at you. Um, like I used to have a Nordstrom credit card, which I didn't really know existed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, but to your credit, whatever the balance was, I don't remember, you got a bonus at your job and paid it all off. Like, I think yeah. like two weeks later. Um, but that's probably it. No, you're now coming from where I come from, we didn't have money. And my dad is very, uh, he's a saver. I'll put it that way. Um, to like the extreme. Though. Extreme side. Yeah. Like the he's, um, extreme side of the spectrum. Yeah. The the house I grew up in, it would be, here. this is the motto that I heard as a kid. Um, my dad would say, Jeremy, you go to work for your job and it pays you money and you pay all your bills and your responsibilities. Whatever you have left over, I go, that's what you save. That's kind of his mentality was. It's like, <clears throat> excuse me, you do all the responsible things first. Whatever money is left over, it's yours. If you want to invest that in something different, if you want to gamble it, light it on fire, put it in the bank and save it, that's on you. But you always do the responsible thing first. You pay off your debts. You don't like to have them hanging over your head. Obviously, that has sinked into me uh, over the years, probably to the extreme. And again, obviously, like I like a lot of Dave Ramsey stuff. I don't, I don't like everything he says. I don't agree with every single point. I don't have to. But there's a lot of good principles there for people who are obviously just starting out. Now, moving here from where I grew up to Scottsdale, Arizona, it's a different planet here. And I thought Heather was extreme when I met her. She's spending money at Nordstrom. She's doing all these things. I also had my own career. Yeah. And at that point, I was actually making more money than you. Oh, well, good safe. <laughs> Shots fired here, apparently, on the podcast. Keep going. Uh, yes. I wasn't against that anyway. That was okay. number four, but you're just trying to steal my juice here. Uh, so I thought it was extreme. Um, I also was never married um, and l- never had lived with a woman before. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, so there's a big education piece for both sides. All the dudes out there, if you've never lived with a woman and been married to one, they buy different things than us. And, and we have to buy more. Here we go. Well, we do. I mean, think about all the like skin products, hair products. Like guys don't just 
I'm not disagreeing with you. Do I fight you? It just you? costs a lot more to when be a you woman. go When you go to Olga Brow, do I fight you anymore when I see it on the American That's Express? It's like your Midwest accent <laughs> when you say Olga Brow. <laughs> <laughs> she always pops. Or I forget where you get your haircut. But you know what I'm saying. My point is I thought Heather was extreme. And then I started this business and I see what other people <laughs> do. And I realized. Yeah, I'm not mm, normal. No, I am. Um, I'm way better than the average <clears throat> I won female. The, I won the lottery there, for sure. Thank you. But it does, what I'm saying is, I'm thankful. You know, we're all going to, we all like the things we like. We all have vices. We all have things we want to spend money on. That's fine. And there's people who are more savers. There's people who are more spenders. If you're with a relationship and you're both spenders, you have to have a talk. And there has to be some education there because you're probably always kind of running behind. If you're both hyper savers, you're probably never going to have any fun. And you're going to die with, you know, $50 million and you never lived your life. I don't think that's healthy either. There's somewhere to meet in the middle, but it comes down to your goals of what you want to do today, what you want to do in five years, and what you want to do in 20 years. When do you want to retire? That's not an age. That's a number. And I think a lot of people are confused. Well, I'm when I'm 59 and a half, I can pull from these accounts when I'm 65. That's all bullshit. If you want to retire at 45... That's a thing if you know how much money you need and what it's going to take to get there. And what type of lifestyle do you want to live today? And what type of lifestyle do you want to live in the future? That all comes down to personality type. And then there's education pieces both of you can do. And there's a compromise that there that you guys will meet. Now, you'll have arguments. You'll have fights. And sometimes you're going to have to draw a line in the sand and die on a hill. But if you do that over time, I think you guys will gravitate towards each other and you'll be pretty successful. I agree. And on the flip side of that, I when you, when we first were living together and we're young and trying to understand each other, learn about our personalities and financial habits, you thought I was a crazy spender. I thought you were super cheap and never spent any money. And so once... Well, well, you made more than me, so I didn't have any money (laughs) to spend. So there's that. Uh, I wouldn't have any. I didn't even, I was like not even paid. Well, at all, but um, somehow we made it work. But yeah, my point was, is that now I'm so grateful and I understand why you were so conservative with your money because we didn't have any <laughs> and in order to actually invest in a business and, and be able to, to now sit here today with financial freedom, you know, more money than I to be honest, could imagine in like savings accounts, retirement accounts, and just having options in the future of what we want to do and not be stressed about it is like such a blessing. And I think once you can get to that point, um, it's super hard and the process is always evolving and it's always going to require hard work and effort. But the end goal and the end result is, is just will continue to pay you so much more back well there's two things like one when you're younger especially we you don't know what you don't know what you don't know and when you're young you know you're the kid probably when you're 18 to your mom and dad i can't wait to move out on my own i'll never come back here you see all these stupid things like you know what you're talking about first of all it's all bullshit then you get to be you know 25 26 27 and you see people doing stuff you see people driving cars and living in houses and you think it's all real and it's not all real a lot of that stuff is fake. A lot of that stuff is leased. It's leveraged. It was gifted. It just And some of it is real. Some people can, can generally afford to ball out, but a lot of people can't. And then when you play this comparison game, you think like, well, I need to be doing this too. I go, but if you're not there yet, 
then you're not there yet. And your journey might be a little bit different. So you can't get wrapped up in the Joneses bullshit and always comparing. And two, I remember standing in our kitchen and I'll never forget this because the world is so different now. And that's when I'm talking about personality types and what you want your future to be like, you don't know what's going to unfold and what's possible. And there's, there's two things that I did know. But the one thing you said to me, you sat in our kitchen after we bought our house, probably within the first six months. You know, if, if we ever move from here, you said into a house that was like, just like $500,000, it'd be so amazing. Well, and it'd I be said- so crazy. And I remember you saying that and I was like, God, 500K sounds like. And you were like looking at me. I'm like, I'm like, I really, yeah, 500 would be just the max that I'd want to spend. And I'm like, now it's crazy how much real estate has increased here. And um, it's, you can't even get a house for 500000 No, you cannot live anywhere around here for half a million dollars, which is sickening to say. And I feel terrible about it. That's it's like for a, over a million. <laughs> it's for a whole different podcast. But that's what I'm saying. Like, you don't know what the future is. So... You just have to really, you plan and you prep accordingly. And if you live your life by the basic principles, you're always going to be in a position to have choices. And that's what I want to drive everybody at. Like if you have, if you don't have a lot of debt that's hanging over your head for things that aren't going up in value and you have some money invested into appreciating assets and you have a little bit of liquidity and cash flow, when things are you know, down and people are fearful and panicking, that's when you're going to be able to take advantage of certain things. And you're just going to be able to have options that other people don't because they've painted themselves into a corner. So number four, power plays. Power plays often occur in one of these four scenarios. One partner has a paid job and the other doesn't. Both partners would like to be working, but one is unemployed. One spouse earns considerably more than the other, or one partner comes from a family that has money and the other doesn't. So when one or more of these situations is present, the money earner or the one who makes or has the most money often wants to dictate the couple's spending priorities. Although there may be some rationale behind this idea, it's still important that both partners cooperate as a team and keep in mind that while a joint account offers great transparency and access it is not in itself a solution to be unbalanced power money dynamic in a marriage how much would you like to share here (laughs) you what do you what's on your mind um i'll just do you want to go through the progression of our life sure i don't use individual language in our house i'm not a fan of it unless my beautiful partner next to me chooses to do that, then we'll use individual language. I don't say mine. No, you're really good about always saying us, ours. Because it is, is it not? I know. Same thing with his business. Yes, I might own the business. It has your name on it. But, it has my name on it too. But it's our team. Yeah. Like everybody here, Matt, Monica, Alec, like everybody's part of the team. It's our, we will help you. And, but you will say sometimes like... <laughs> <laughs> your face right now <laughs> i'm sorry Spit it out. i can't like when we argue and you get mad about something you be like well then buy me a new house and then i'm like i should buy you a new house i go no 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 <laughs> we will buy a house together i'm like why would i buy you something then it's mine it's not yours and you're and first of all i say that because heather is the antithesis of like oh i would buy it that would piss you off more than anything 
like or if it's my car yes. it's my house you always want it to be equal yeah you always want to contribute except when it comes to that argument you'll say well then buy me a new house then i'm like well when i buy you a new one we will buy it together so i'm not a fan of the individual language and i think a lot of people are guilty of that um because the reality is neither of you as partners are going to be able to do anything without the other one even if you're your wife stays home and works with the kids that allows you as the man or if you're the man who stays home with the kids and your wife goes and works it allows the other person to be kind of free of those daily responsibilities or at least most of them so you can dedicate your time to the career so you make money for the family it's both of yours you're both doing a task mm-hmm. and there's a power dynamic there and i know some people have an issue with it personally early on in my fitness career when i was losing money and even when I was starting to make money, Heather was still making substantially more than me. And I'm cool with that. I love it. I think it's great. And now things... That was only like maybe two years or less. Things have changed <laughs> now. And uh, I make more money than her. Than my career. But, yes. Um, but then I also help with sales of the business and different things yes. that contribute a monetary value um, that is a part of the business revenue. Yeah, so I understand that. Even the other day I was watching a video, whatever you filmed, like yesterday we did the weight vest video and I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, these are filmed really nice. Thanks. Like, these are really good. And I'm like, oh, Heather filmed those. And I wouldn't be able to do this if you weren't this person or help me do it the way that I do it. And I think that's most people, even if your your spouse isn't like work in the business with you, they're allowing you to do certain things. So it's always ours. Now, if there comes a point where I stop doing this and I retire early, which is the plan, and I just hang out with Dave all day and drink White Claws and play golf, and Heather makes 10 times what I'm making now, I'm all for it. I'm super cool. How does, how does that sound? <laughs> uh, I can't think that far in advance right now. Well, that's basically the plan that we've talked about, or I've talked at you about it. So that's kind of where we're going to go. Um, better hope all your investments turn out. <laughs> <laughs> the point I'm driving at is you guys have to use, and, and again, I keep coming back to language because I think it's super powerful. And if you keep saying, well, I make more than you, I get to decide. I think it's going to cause problems. If it doesn't initially today, it's going to make one person feel devalued and it gives a, a way, a disproportionate power dynamic. And if that's a conversation you guys want to have, you should have it sooner than later especially if somebody is a high earner and somebody else is a low earner, you're still contributing. You're still the same team. You're still there. And that's important. And so I, I do think you always say it's it's our money and how we are choosing to spend it, even if one person is bringing in more than the other. Right. Number five, do it for the kids, man. <laughs> Children. To have or not to have. That's usually the first question. Food, clothing, shelter, little league, ballet, designer jeans, prom gowns, minivans, and college are all a part of a long list of child-related expenses. These don't include expenses for offspring who have already left the nest. That's assuming your kids will leave the nest, and some never do. (laughs) That's painful. I know this estimate here is pretty old. So it says, based on... um, the cost of raising a child to age 18 in the United States, according to U.S. Department of Agriculture report released in 2017, says that it costs approximately um, $233,000, which I believe uh, I was trying to 
research more, but I believe it's substantially more. It has to be just because of that's the with, cost of living here. That's without college, right? Mm-hmm. That's 18. So college is 18, 19, 20 and up. So by the time, and what's school now? 50 grand a year for like a crap school? I do think that's a different conversation. We don't have time for that. I think it's in the 300000 range now. For a kid? To raise them till 18. Plus college. That's insane, man. Um, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, we don't have kids. I'm not going to tell you guys, obviously, how to navigate that. But that's a lot, man. Like, that is an is insane amount of money, for sure. Right here it says... The average cost of raising a child born to a middle-income married couple is approximately $267,000 in 2021 dollars over a period of 18 years or more than 14800 a year per child so, for a typical two-child household. So what is that each? According each, to U.S. News and World Report, October 19th. So each kid is like fifteen k mm-hmm. a year? Yeah. That's like after you've already... It's like actualized dollars. It's a lot of money. Man. Are you rethinking having kids, That's Jeremy? crazy, bro. Uh, well, now <laughs> I got money. Now I'm cool. I'm be honest with you guys. That's actually the benefit of us like waiting and um, building up our financial uh, our net worth and our savings and our financial freedom that if you do wait to have kids, you it's just less stressful. Uh, financially yeah financially for sure <clears throat> honestly like i couldn't imagine being you know i think of like my dad's life from my mom's life and how it was so different you know from ours <clears throat> excuse me just because the fact i was dead broke like my dad had a kid my mom was what 23 yeah. my dad was like 25 that's when we met dude i didn't even have a job i bought you a bud light for five bucks at those <laughs> gringos and I almost had a panic attack because i didn't have any money Oh, and I barely had any money. It was like my first job right out of college. We would have, there's just no way. You just, the stress of it, like we wouldn't still be married for sure. Mm-hmm. There's no way. And I think the individual stress, it would have helped me. This is just us talking. This is not for anybody else. This is for me. I wouldn't be able to start this business no. like this. I you, wouldn't be able to have grown my career because I'd be taking care of kids. No. And it would just delay everything. And I'm sure there's like harder things, obviously, like because we're, you know, old as hell now compared to that. But financially, I didn't come from money. She didn't come from money. We didn't have any. And it would have been a stress, I think, that, you know, broke the camel's back. And it just, we would still be struggling to this day, I think, always playing catch up. And I wouldn't have been able to take advantage of the real estate opportunities and the timelines and investing in things in the timing I invested them in and pay off my debt. So I look at it now, like if I did have a kid or something, the kid is basically like my house payment. Mm-hmm. You know, because I don't have one anymore. And that's, I'm not saying that was my goal, but it just makes life a little easier. That's a lot. I mean, the only thing I could say is just like, is budgeting for it. And obviously, I work next to Monica. She's got three kids and I see it every day. It's a lot. Not, And it's not just, it's not just the money. It's how it affects like your, your home life, your career, uh, the dynamics of your marriage, like you know, your lifestyle, everything. It's just a lot. It's a, it's, a, it's a big responsibility. Obviously, like, we are people who think things through. So I wasn't just, like, out there being like, oh, well, you know, whatever happens when I'm 25. Like, no, no. I'm First of all. No, I would have been a horrible parent in my 20s. I don't think I have any business <laughs> raising a kid today, let alone I'm like 10 years ago. I'm, like, still scared. Like, oh, my gosh. 
how would I handle it? Would I be a good mom? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but again, that's a conversation I think you would have. And I, I hate to say it, but we live in an economical world and I'm not saying finances should hold you back, but it does play a role in it. And my parents did the best, you know, that they could with what they had. And we, and I'm fine with it. Like I, I'm very thankful for my childhood. It was, you know, great for what it was, but like, we didn't take vacations. I didn't have the same experiences that like you had yeah. or, or friends of mine had. Um, and that's just, it's a boat we were in, you know, we, we made the best with what we had. And I'm not saying that's a reason like why I wouldn't do something, but I also know what you miss out by not having money. And even like as a kid, like you feel the stress of it. Like you do, even if your parents don't, you know, talk about it a ton, you know, like by the time you're 10, like, Hey, these guys can do things and have things that we can't, and they don't have the same, you know, money issues that we do. And maybe that's why I needed to make as much as I make to have a a sense of security and pay off all my stuff. So no matter what, I'm always going to have money invested. I'm always going to own things and nobody can take that away from me. I do think. And multiple streams of revenue is so important. So you're not just, for example, me losing my job during the pandemic and thankfully, gratefully was able to get permanent jobs, basically the same job back. Um, But my point is, is like, if you can make multiple revenue streams of income, then you don't have to just rely on one single paycheck which has been so great, a blessing for both of us. Yeah, and on a side note for anybody, um, I'm not telling you how to, how to spend your time or what to do, and I don't know your individual skill set, but I would say that's probably the biggest key um, to feeling a sense of security and uh, and growth and financial independence is having things that go up in value. So appreciating assets and things coming from multiple directions that are paying you. Um, if I had to look at this business and break it down, I think there is no less than 10 revenue streams that always, <clears throat> excuse me, pour money in here every single month on top of obviously Heather's salary as well. And that's really the only way you're going to get, you know, wealthy or become financially independent. You can't just trade time for money. I don't care what you do. Uh, even if you're, you know, you're a doctor, you're an attorney, there's only a certain cap on how, how much you can work. The real key is if you can get things to pay you, um, from multiple angles when you're not always sitting at work. That's why I'm a huge fan of, obviously, if you do own real estate outright as it depreciates, if you own, you know, mutual funds, if you're in the S and P, if you're into crypto, different things that, you know, have a track record of going up over time, like that's going to be the key. And obviously the things that pay you money, you invest them in things that go up instead of going down. And uh, it just makes life easier. I've been broke uh, and I've been this person and, and I'm no different of a human. I'm not saying I'm uh, any happier, but uh, I have less stress and my life is uh, way easier and I'm way more generous and I'm way more giving. And it, it feels good uh, to be in this place versus where I was, you know, probably, you know, less than 10 years ago. Right. Number six, extended family. So co-managing finances and respecting the goals, needs, and expectations each spouse has regarding their extended family can be really tricky. So take, for example, um, her mom, they say she wants a vacation in Vegas. His parents need a new car. Her brother can't make the rent. You know, her sister's husband lost his job. No, now one spouse is writing a check and the other one wants to know why that money can't or that money wasn't used to address needs at their home or fund a vacation for us, not the extended family members. 
So when like a serious crisis arises, illness, a major storm, unexpected death, the pressure can be magnified. So family money dynamics work the other way too. His mom will pay to fly him home for the holidays. Her mom will fund a new car because the one she's driving is a Honda, not a Lexus. Her mom buys the grandkids extravagant gifts and his mom can't afford to match that kind of spending. The joys of a family often extend right into your wallet so oh i didn't even think of that mm-hmm. whoa i know there's uh, quite a few different dynamics when you uh talk about well the topic of family and money also just how you're raised yeah and just what people's um really definition of of finances it well is. and what what people value mm-hmm. is a big one. Uh, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus here uh, as we unpack this real quick. What I will say is about... For example, um, <laughs> her mom will fund a new car because the one she's driving is a Honda, not a oh. Lexus. How do you feel about that one? Are they trying to talk shit about what, Hondas? Is that what they're saying? <laughs> yeah. Because whoever that is, I make more money than you, so shut your mouth. Um <laughs> This car right here is balling right now. It's dirty, but it's a great car. People would look at you, though. If you guys could see this car right now, it literally has inches layer, like over an inch layer of dust and dirt on it and has not been washed. And, like, people would look at you and judge you and think that you are super broke and don't take care of your things. And what do you, (laughs) how do you think I feel about that? Tell us. I secretly love it. I was at, well, two things, two stories. One quick, I don't want to get off track. One, uh, like a year, I haven't washed that car in at least it's so bad. way before the I'm pa- so embarrassed. I have not washed my car before, it had been before the pandemic. 2019, for sure. Saving money, trying to buy oh your dream, God. trying to buy your dream house. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> One car wash at a time. I was sitting at the stoplight at uh, Jack Rabbit and Scottsdale Road, and I was coming up here to train uh one of our athletes here and he happens to drive ford raptor and he was behind me and he had texted me he's like bro can you even see out of your back window (laughs) and i i messaged him back i'm like dude dirt is the new tint didn't you know like that's in style but more recently i was at um, a local gas station here it's close to um close to our house and i got into my car and i grabbed some uh powerade zeros from the, the place and the gas is filling up my car, and I'm just looking around. Every person there had a car that was probably five times nicer than me. And I just sat there, and I thought to myself, I go, every person here thinks I'm probably one step away from being homeless. And they probably think I'm just like this dirtbag loser who can't even afford to clean this car that has... I've been hitting that car like six times, by the way. <laughs> and my, I don't have a rearview mirror cover on the right side. My license plate is dented from the last guy who crushed into me, and I just let him go. And as I sat there, I go, I kind of like this. Like, I, in some weird, I don't know why I do. I'm not trying to do it. I just, like, like it. I just like that I'm invisible in that car, and no one notices me. And if they do, they think I'm just a complete dirtbag. You're like Batman in the Batmobile. Except, like, he drove a Lamborghini. <laughs> I drive this. But my point is... Don't worry about your vehicle. What I was going to say before you interrupted me and got me on my car <clears throat> tangent, I'm I'm willing to help people who are willing to help themselves. So if we had a friend or family member 
who legitimately needed help, I would do it if they were giving everything they could and they still couldn't make it work. I would too. <clears throat> However, I'm not a fan of helping people who don't help themselves. I know. You will get almost nothing from me. And I don't I don't want to be like super harsh and cold when I say that. And maybe I feel this because I come from where I come from and I wake up at four o'clock every single day and I work my fucking ass off, man. Like I really do. Sometimes it's a point of where I question like what the hell am I doing? Um, but I love a lot of this and I believe in it. And I think it helps people. So if I'm willing to do that at four, I'm willing to get up early when it's dark and when it's cold and I'm willing to stay up late and I'm willing to do things that most normal people won't do for someone to ask for a handout who's just been a lazy ass, just hanging out, you know, at the beach or not putting in the same efforts and going out to all these like dinners and buying clothes, yet they don't have money for their bills. I can't get behind that. I'm not helping you now. I'm enabling you. And I'm not a fan of that. I did hear Patrick Bett, um, he shared a little point the other day about people asking for money, family members. And I think it was some guy kept asking for like 3000 bucks to make rent, and he did it over time. And what he learned is I would start offering less and less money. So someone says, hey, I need 3000 bucks," And instead of like they're asking it for like a, it's like a loan, right? Like that deadbeat person or that family member who always needs money from you. Instead of giving him the three grand, just write him a check for something that doesn't matter. You know what? I, I can't do you 3000 I can give you 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. And the look on their face sometimes is almost this like disappointment or like disgust. Now, you're helping them. Mm-hmm. You're just not helping them all the way. And who cares if they ever pay back the 200 bucks? You could light it on fire. It doesn't matter. But at least that way, if you want to be guilt-free, that's cool. I just can't get behind doing something for people who aren't willing to give as much effort as I'm willing to give. Now, like if... Like my dad was like, hey, do I need something? Or my mom, like, I'm happy to do it. They provided me a life. They gave me stuff as a kid that I'm willing to do because I know they're both willing to go work hard for it. If they couldn't make ends meet, I'm happy to bridge the gap. But I can't do it for people who won't do it for themselves. And if the weird one, when you read this, like if the one parent buys fancy gifts and the other one can't for like kids or something, that would be kind of a tough dynamic too. I could see that with like, in-laws um, like that's, grandparents that's like depending on, on that's like on four christmases mm-hmm. when they have a ten dollar yeah. limit and vince vaughn buys the xbox or something <laughs> where the hell did you find the xbox for ten dollars and everybody's pissed off that's tough man yeah but again it just comes down to communication and having a conversation with your in-laws and your family of like here's how we're going to do things just to make it uh not be so awkward but i do think the bigger one is probably the uh the money thing, lending it to uh, to family. That's uh, a... Yeah, you got to be careful with that That's a dicey one, dude. Nice. So how to handle money issues in a marriage. Basically, if you've been listening this far, um, you won't be surprised that the best way to handle uh, marriage stressors is, like you mentioned, communication and honesty. So just convey your expectations, your hopes, your goals, your dreams, anxieties. And couples should really just also practice having empathy and have the maturity to check your ego, abandon any other, you know, controlling behavior, power trips, things like that. And just, it's, it's always, it's going to always be challenging. I think it's still for us. Um, it's hard to constantly communicate and it's going to be a work in progress, I think, until you're, you know, hundred years old, hopefully. Um, it's just something that you continue to have to work on and make time for, make it a priority. Well, yeah, it comes down to you obviously knowing each other and then knowing who you guys are together. 
uh, uh, Heather would be the spender, obviously, of us two, because I don't, I'm not saying I don't spend money, but I really don't on things, and I don't, I just, I don't, I don't need a lot, and it's just weird, you know, it's just a weird thing about me, like, I could live You're in just this. just like a minimalist. Yeah, I could live in this gym, and like, literally, I mean that, like, it'd be fine, like, I wouldn't have a huge issue with it, it's not a big deal. He's super weird. <laughs> um, but I also understand, like, you need other things. And so I never say you only live you only live once, <laughs> and maybe you live on the street. Who knows where you end up living in your car? Uh, no, I don't. I never tell you, and for for years I've never told you this. I never say, Heather, you can't buy that. No, Heather, you can't go there. All that I, wouldn't work. In no, our marriage. all I say is, if you want to do something, it's got to come from somewhere, and if you have another goal it might take away from that or that other goal might take longer if you're willing to spend the money on that. And if you're okay with it, that's the decision you make. There's a, is the juice worth the squeeze? And only you guys can answer that individually. There is, you do have to live your life. You do have to have fun, but you also have to, you know, have a plan for, you know, short term, medium term, and like your long term future. But that comes down to you guys communicating. So I'll never tell her, no, you can't do something. No, you can't go somewhere. You're a grown adult. You make money like me, half of it's yours. If you want to light half of it on fire, I like to have a conversation before you do that. But ultimately, that's what's going on. And again, if you guys, it's not, it's weird that we don't talk about money, like in America. I don't know what the rest of the world's like, but it's weird. Like we won't share our salary. We won't share. Why? I know. Would you not? I feel like it's gotten more, it's definitely more open now, especially like in the corporate world, because I feel like. Back in the day, yeah, you would never talk about how much money you made, your salaries, like within your own team, or it was just always well, super with, awkward. With like, like parents and kids don't do that. Mm-hmm. Like I have no, like my dad, I remember when he paid his house off, he showed me the full breakdown. He showed me what he's made every year. Well, he worked at the same job for 33 years. And now he's into something different. He showed me a full breakdown of what he made for all 33 years. I think at that time it was like 30 years. And then his house payments, the full, you know, giant pay down, which is impressive. My mom has shared with me what's the most money she's ever made. I'm, you know, pretty transparent with them, with everything. Mm -hmm. I'm like, here's what I make. Here's what we do. And here's why we make the decisions we make. Now, every family isn't the same way. No. And I, and I, this is being. Like my family's not that If I was to tell them, here's what we do, I think they would be, it would be different. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where that comes from. I just think, and I'm not saying you have to share that with your parents and your family, but I also don't see the issue with it. Yeah, everybody has a different relationship with money, money. and um, a lot of it has to do with how they were raised. For sure. But I think if you're in a partnership with your wife or your husband, you two need to be transparent with everything. Oh my gosh, yeah. With Please everything. have a conversation and really focus on paying off that debt and like this article mentioned, um, different strategies to paying off your debt that obviously the focusing on the higher interest debt first, there's like the debt avalanche method or paying off the smallest loans first, like the debt snowball snowball method. Um, we definitely educated ourselves at younger, young ages and attended financial conferences. We, um, listened to variety of books, podcasts, um, interviews, articles. We still do. Well, I'm lucky that this is what I did for a living because I've gotten this secondary education here from, if I had to guess, no less than 
I don't know, how many multimillionaires have I met here? Probably 500 over the years. Mm -hmm. And on a day-to-day basis, I have conversations with at least probably 50 of them from all different careers, all different walks of life. Some people, single earners, some people, you know, the husband and wife, uh, some of them own their own businesses. Some of them work for corporate America. It's been super helpful. Uh, and you can attack it any way you want, obviously, but I do think education is a, is a key piece. And if you're going to use debt, just make sure, you know, you're okay with it. Um, and what I mean by that is if you're willing to have 15 rental properties and you have a mortgage on all of them, as long as you know, like what your go to black number is, if the world ate shit and how long could you survive for, if you didn't have all the money coming in to cover all of the bills, then that's up to you. A lot of times, you know, how much money you're willing to make in this life and have is, is how much stress you're willing to take on and, you know, how much shit you're willing to eat and for how long you're willing to do it. And there's a lot of different ways to go about it. I'm not, uh, I'm not preaching to anybody. Uh, we follow what we follow. And I listen to a lot of people. I listen to Dave Ramsey. I like a lot of the stuff he says, but then I listen to Chris Crone, who's like the opposite and like will leverage his life on everything. And that's fine too. I'll listen to Peter Schiff, who thinks, you know, cryptocurrency is shit. And I'll listen to Anthony Pompanello, who's like, obviously like on the Bitcoin train. I think it's, it's important for you guys to get all types of perspectives on all different types of investments and the way a bunch of people handle debt. And instead of looking at things in terms of what people have and saying, I want what they have, Look at what their lifestyle is like. Look at what their personality type is like and see if that mirrors more what you want to be. Because there's a lot of people, I'm being honest, that I've worked with who have a lot of really cool stuff that I think would be cool, but they're way stressed. They have way more anxiety. They have way more pressure on them than I would want to put on myself. So I know the juice isn't worth the squeeze for me to drive a Rolls Royce here. Nothing wrong with it if you do, but have, first of all, having a $400,000 car and having somebody scratch it would really like freak me out and I would be worried and I'd probably have to wash it more than once every three years. But the point being is you attack it the way you have to attack it. But I do think being open with your partner, having a game plan and then being educated around what debt you want to get rid of, if it's all of it, which I'm a fan of, or keeping what you need to keep, which still allows you to live your certain life because you got, you know, this cheaper money. I'm cool with that too. But the big key is just is talking about it. Yeah, they say one in five Americans said they have financial disagreements with their significant other at least monthly, according to a 2018 Northwestern Mutual study on personal money matters. Among those surveyed, 41% said financial anxieties have an impact on relationships with spouse partners at least some of the time. So if you can avoid that and decrease that percentage, um, it's worth it, believe believe me when I say it. And it's really helped us, um, with our relationship and just know that anything is possible if you're willing to work for it and educate yourself and just follow the process. We're living proof of it. When we, when we met, we had a negative net worth. And so just know that you can do it too. Yeah. And if you have a game plan, like we do with everything, we literally at our house print off pieces of paper and we write down the numbers every month as we go. So if we have a goal to obviously like pay off our home or buy a commercial space or buy a rental property or, you know, move into a new home, or if we want to, like, we don't take car loans. That's just, that's just us. We don't do it. We don't really buy new cars either. <laughs> we tend to buy you shit, which is fine, but we pay cash for it. So we'll say, okay, if we're going to spend $25,000, $30,000, $40,000 in a vehicle, we'll go there and that's what we're doing, but we have to save it before we go purchase it. That's what we tend to do. I'm not saying you guys have to do that. 
I'm sharing that information because that's how we communicate. And so we always know where the numbers are at. Okay, here's our emergency fund. Here's a retirement account. Here's our house fund. Here's our car fund. Here's our travel fund. Here's our normal checking account. And so we're always in communication. It's like you're running a business. Right. You don't have the accounting department separate from, you know, the marketing department. We are everything all in one house together. And literally just printouts on our refrigerator month by month of us going towards our goals. Now, we're kind of nerdy in that way, but it helps me visually Mm -hmm. to see it when I go by the refrigerator and I grab something. Okay, here's where we're at this month and here's how far we have to go and here's how long it's going to take us to get there. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, it's just so important Because if you don't, I think at some point it's kind of inevitable that you're going to have resentment issues if you do keep it separate or private or, you know, one person really isn't contributing to being a true partnership or doesn't care and is completely out of, out of the loop that at some point you're going (laughs) to, there's going to be a day where you need to know what's going on with your finances. And if you don't pay attention, it just can be such a huge problem later on in life. Or I think you wake up one day and mm-hmm. you don't have any money because you didn't, and this is like from a Dave Ramsey, you give every dollar a designation. And if you don't, your money just tends to kind of disappear. It's how people wander into debt. It's really simple to do. You have to take control of it. Otherwise it will control you. Yeah. Like think how people end up with $30,000 of credit card debt. It didn't happen in a day. They didn't buy one thing for 30 grand. They bought 5,000 things over time. And that's how they ended up there. It's the same way you wander into being overweight. You don't gain 40 pounds in a week. You don't even gain 40 pounds in a year. It's three, four five pounds a year, every year for 10 years. And now you're 50 pounds heavier. So really just like you budget your macros, you budget your dollars and you realize like, Hey, if we really want to be in a certain place, or if we want to do these kind of things, we have to be intentional with the things we buy and what we invest in and how we spend money. It's really that simple. Next one. Sign a prenup or a postnup. Whoa. Yeah, for those people that already, make sense. Already, already, <laughs> already balling. Or they have money. Mm-hmm. That's, um, what would you do? Like. If you asked. If, um, if I, like, died today and you just get everything and you meet some other dude and he's, like, kind of a turd. With money. Well, I for sure would want to protect that money. <laughs> <laughs> no questions. I was like, sorry. If but what it, if you if really it hurts your feelings? What if he was like, this is my ne- money. He's the next Jeremy. <laughs> he was just a really loving, caring, just an awesome guy. And then you did it, and he got all he got all salty about it. And um, he's just gonna have to deal with those insecurities. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be tough. We were both broke, so it didn't matter. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a tough one, man. I guess yeah. Now it would matter for sure. That would be my concern too. I guess for would both, be, if something. If you. If le- we moved on from each other. Yeah. If you left. Or, yeah. Well, just because I, I, you said it today. You said people probably see you in your car and think you're a loser. <laughs> and I go I, honestly, if you died tomorrow and I had to meet another lady, I would drive this car forever. So that would be like two more years. So then she would think I was a loser. And then I knew she really liked me for me and not because I had a fancy new truck or car or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'd want to know she was in it for... The right reasons. Yeah. Not because I could give her a... Well, first of all, I'm not going to give her any kind of lifestyle. Like she needs to work. Uh, I'm just not a fan of that. So if you guys need to do that, obviously that's probably a route you should take. But that's that's a, that's a shit you think about when you get old, man. And you actually like acquire some stuff and you become like what I call a real adult. I know. Next one. 
Um, just again, touching on your, your personality, um, knowing what kind of personality type you are, um, and just paying attention to it, I guess. And if you guys have another conversation, like who's the saver, who's the spender, it's a real easy one to do. And I think if you're in the dating pool right now and you're kind of going through that, just, uh, you know, see what. Be open about your relationship with money and how you were raised and, you know, if you have scarcity issues or if you have, you know, the opposite and you spend money to try to impress people, um, you might need to take a look at yourself and reflect and figure out, okay, why am I, why is my behavior like this with money and what really is, what does this mean? So look inside yourself and I think there's definitely always room to evaluate and grow um, in that area. Man, like what their parents do and Mm -hmm. their parents' beliefs sometimes will mirror what the kid does. Not always, uh, but sometimes it can be comparable for sure. It's just a, it's just a good thing to do when you guys have conversations of how much money you need to, to feel secure or feel safe or or what feel successful. Yeah. (laughs) Which what a bunch of horse shit. Um, we say financially successful because that's different than like life success in my opinion. But if I'm being, if I'm being transparent, like obviously I have lived through these financial crises and I've lived through these, the shit shows. Um, I'm old enough to have like lived through 9-11 and the 07-08 meltdown and obviously then the pandemic as well. And partially probably because I grew up with not a lot of money in a more conservative uh, financial household that, you know, we just didn't have an abundance. And so I never felt like we had enough um, to feel like, oh, if things go wrong, like it'll be okay. I never felt that until I was probably honestly... 29 or 30 years old until I really felt that. So the last, you know, eight or nine years of my life. And maybe that's why I felt like, well, I need to build this up. So like, I feel okay if things do go wrong. And sure enough, things have went wrong in the economy and in the world multiple times. And I had to rely on that. And it's put me in a position where when these things do happen, I don't have to panic like a normal person. And maybe I'll always have that inside of me. I don't know. And then it just comes down to you. Your partner might not feel the same. Your partner might feel like it's okay to have, you know, six bucks left for their name and they're, they're living check to check and they might feel that's fine. But if you're not that person, that's where you guys need to kind of meet in the middle. Maybe you need to loosen up a little bit maybe they need to kind of rein it in. So again, just knowing your partner and knowing what you guys want to do and where you want to go is going to be key. Next one, check your ego. Yeah, this is just summarizing what they had mentioned earlier, just about the power play issues and to just fix those if you have that in your relationship um, otherwise it will build resentment faster than me, than being made to feel inferior. So if you got more cash, you need to be sensitive about how you present spending decisions. If you don't have the money, you need to be prepared for stress and tension. That is almost inevitable, even in good marriages. The subject comes up with increasing frequency when couples wait until later life to marry. What is this here by Northwest Mutual, this study? I, I just mentioned it earlier. That's the one. Mm-hmm. So I have another one too. Are we going to go through the good habits quick or no? Just talking about teaching your kids. Oh, yeah. Let me do this really quick. Um, yeah, you do that one and then I'll go to this at the end. So just when you're able to hone in on these positive habits with your own finances, this will really help you teach your children 
Um, so start early, start teaching them about money when they're young, preparing them for being financially responsible on their own, um, which will reduce the odds that they will dip into your wallet as adults and knock into your savings plan and, and just really could interrupt your own goals later on if, if you have children that are going to be relying on you. So start early, educate them, um, show them how to be responsible, use allowances and goals to teach your children about earning, saving, spending, and then talk to the older ones about investing. There's some really great books out there, podcasts, um, like Jeremy mentioned, the Dave Ramsey um, books. I know I had read years ago, The Smart Money, Smart Kids. It's Dave Ramsey and Rachel Cruz is his daughter, which was really helpful. And they talk a lot about just the parent and children relationship with money and how to prepare them for the future. So I would suggest that one. I do think that's key. And you're, again, I I don't have, we don't have kids, so I'm not telling you what to do, but I was once a kid and I lived with two parents. So I got to see things and maybe it was like my grandpa too. He was the big, uh, you know, he was worked uh, for the fire department for his whole career. So he was big on, benefits, a pension, all these things that traditional investment route. Yeah. Shit. Like the pensions that don't exist in my time and era, but that was his thing. He's like, you need to get a good job with benefits and retirement and this and this. And I'm like, little did he know that I was going to start off. I was going to do something completely <laughs> outside but the at box. At least your wife can provide that. <laughs> yeah. So obviously like we set up our own stuff here, um, in terms of like, like a SEP and then we do mutual funds outside of retirement back in the day. It was like Roth IRAs and those things. Um, but I do remember that as a kid, my grandpa kind of walking me through, you know, what to do. And then obviously my dad, uh, with the same thing and, uh, my mom, you know, similar, uh, kind of thought patterns, but I was the kid too, where it's like, if you wanted money, uh, you had to do shit. And I do think working and doing chores for allowances. And then if you want to go buy something, you spend your money, not mom and dad are buying it for you. It gives you a sense of ownership and a sense of pride. But it also gives you an understanding, well, if I want to buy this hat and it's $30 and I only have $35, I only have $5 left. So that pain point becomes real really fast. Well, and it brings you into the real world at a young age. So I started working in high school. I had like side jobs in the summer and then I had kind of a consistent job that I would do during the school year. And then in college, I had jobs as well. And it just really prepared me to understand what life really caught, what things in the real world really cost and what I'm going to have to do to be able to make it on my own. What, what would your, what would your family say to you? Um, because I did like nice things, but I also was a hard worker. But what they- we need to preface nice things. I think people are thinking like Gucci bags, oh, yeah. Louis Vuitton, like not, you just liked I liked Nor- you like to go to Nordstrom. Yeah, I like shopping, nice clothes, and I wanted I like to travel. So even in, I'd go you know with my friends or in college I'd take trips to Hawaii, and I just liked to live a fun lifestyle. <laughs> and so that <laughs> my parents would be like, "You better make good money, or better marry somebody rich." <laughs> done and done. <laughs> Boom. Take that, John and Cindy. So I was like, well, I'm going to make my own money, and I will find a successful guy too, but we will create this great mm. partnership 
We little, did. Little did you know, you met a guy with no job. Here you are all these years later. <laughs> uh, I do remember my dad saying things like, what do you think I'm made of money? Mm-hmm. Or like, we money don't have grow on trees. trees. Yeah. Those are probably the two big ones. And I would ask for stuff. I'm like, hey, can I get some basketball cards? My dad would be like, tough shit. You don't get those. But if I went and shoveled snow or mowed the lawn, I get a couple bucks. I do think there's a lot of, uh, I always use the phrase more as caught than taught from parents. And I, I think you can teach them these things too. But if they see your behavior patterns as well, it becomes crystal clear. Uh, and I mean that in terms of not just, you know, making money, spending money, investing it, but also the work ethic too. That goes into it. Maybe that's why I feel the way I feel because my mom and dad always had to work jobs, you know, every single day, at least, you know, you know, whether it's five days a week, six, seven days a week, always grinding. And uh, there's a there's a level of like work ethic that seeps into you as a kid when you see that consistently and in what a, a hard day's work like really is when it comes to real life. Um, what do we have the last two here? Yeah. And then uh, I'll do a, the divorce part real quick at the end. So what is this one? The upside of getting it right? They're just saying that, you know, we're talking a lot about the negative side of being married and financial issues. But there's, there's no negatives of being married. There's a huge positive financial advantage because obviously you can double your income without doubling your expenses. If you can synchronize your goals, you can reach them much more quickly than just working alone and, and not having a partner to do it with. And just keep in mind, even if you get get it right 90%, 99% of the time, it still means you can still argue about money issues now and then. But there is definitely a serious financial advantage of sharing your life and your money with your, your partner. Yeah, and uh, the, the bottom line, obviously, part we'll talk about just the overall communication and things. The one thing I'll say, where, did, where does this article originate from? Investopedia. Cool. I'll put it in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. Uh, what I'll add here is, this is just my two cents. Again, if you come from, if you grew up in Newport Beach and that's where you're from, this probably isn't going to resonate with you because you're already way more balling than I ever was. You're in a fantasy land. <laughs> yeah, it just, it didn't work. I'm saying that because I come from this very humble place in the Midwest where, you know, a, a home for like 150 grand gets you like a really nice place. And there's a lot of people who here who I work with who drive cars that cost more than that. So I'm giving you the spectrum here. My two cents, if you don't come from a place of, of wealth, if you don't come from money, or if you just don't have a lot and your parents, you know, maybe you have a Shaquille O'Neal type dad or Shaq's like, I'm rich. My kids are not rich. They don't have anything. I've earned this. They don't have that. Maybe you grew up in a household like that where your parents are balling, but they're not giving it to you, which I think is awesome because it'll teach you a work ethic. It'll be amazing. It's good for you. One of the best gifts I ever got was growing up broke as shit because I would not be this person without it. And I mean that with all sincerity. It sucked as a kid. Didn't like it. Wasn't happy about it. You know, had the victim mentality. Wish I had everybody else's life. And I mean this. I would not be this person without it. Like there, there's nobody who will work harder than me. And I, I fucking mean that. Like I feel it every day because I have earned it all. And I have a sense of appreciation beyond if I just would have been given it. So with that said, if you come from a place of maybe not a lot of money, if you can live as cheap as you can, as long as you can, it's going to help you in the long run. Because I think the worst thing is, is that you would get yourself into a heap of debt or you're rushing things when you're not financially ready to do them, that it causes you more stress and pain. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then one of the worst things 
having to go back 20 steps. Think of like flying first class from age 12 to 22 and then having to fly Southwest C-48 for the rest of your life. Like that would suck. Oh, yeah. And a lot of it just, let's be honest, everybody, there's a big difference. If you're the kid whose parents bought them, you know, a BMW at 16, and then you get out into the real world, and all you can afford is this dope-ass Honda right here, like, it sucks, dude, to do that. So if you can just be fiscally responsible, because you're young, let's be real, why do you have to be fancy before you can be fancy? I know. it's, it's it way- took me years to understand that and be patient, and now I'm so grateful that we didn't rush into buying fancier things and just just being more strategic with our plan. I think will benefit everybody if you can do it that way. And you're gonna you've actually earned it then, mm-hmm. and you did it in a way where when you bought things, it would there are blessings to you. They and weren't you actually own them outright instead of the bank. And they weren't stressors to you. Mm-hmm. I, and this is what we talk about too a lot. And I say that because, one, it's going to set you up financially for the future when life does get more complex and does get harder. And it, it, that fake it till you make it bullshit, it doesn't impress anybody. And it doesn't fool anyone. And it only really causes you pain and agony. So if you're listening right now and you're 26 years old and you got a $700 a month car lease or car payment, that shit's not serving you, dude. It's dumb. Get rid of it. Invest the money. Buy that car when you're 36 instead of 26, and I promise you it'll be so worth it, and you'll feel so much better. But oftentimes we get wrapped up kind of in that nonsense, and so if you can live as cheap as you can, as long as you can, build the foundation, because the sooner you guys can start investing your money into appreciating things, the difference between investing at 26 and 36 is, is costing you millions and millions of dollars in the long run. It truly is. So I just, I have to throw that out there because it's, I think it's important, and obviously I feel passionate about it because it's the way that I did it, and um, I know it can work, uh, and I know it can obviously come through. Cool beans? Yeah. So you're going to touch on divorce? Yeah. Really (laughs) quick, I just wanted to, well, in case it happens, we'll see where we are on the spectrum here. Uh, We share this all of us because the goal is if you're married with somebody, obviously you stood up there at the altar in front of your friends and family, and you thought it would go the distance. And statistically speaking, the odds are not in your favor uh, a lot of times as these things go on. And I pulled this up. I believe most of these stats come from uh, the U.S. Census Bureau. And obviously it ties in because money is a huge factor in this. Marriage and divorce are both common in uh, obviously male to female, female to female, male to male. About 90% um, of people in Western cultures are married by the age of 50. In the United States, 50% of married couples divorce, which is the sixth highest divorce rate in all of the world. Now, subsequent marriages are even higher. So 60% of second marriages end in divorce and 73% of third marriages end in divorce, which is gnarly to think. And obviously it can be emotionally and financially difficult for a lot of people to go through this. Uh, The reason I bring this up is because they share the statistics. According to the U.S. Census Bureau survey, the top three reasons for divorce are incompatibility, 43%, infidelity, 28%, and money issues are 22%. So depending on what chart you guys are looking at, it typically falls like in the top three reasons people are getting divorced. Either infidelity, 
Obviously, there's, you know, sometimes like a lack of intimacy, communication, but addiction and money are always in the mix there. And I share that because obviously it's hard enough to be married to a human because, you know, we're just so different as individuals, male, female, or if it's male, male, female, female, but just personality types, how we grew up, what motivates me versus what motivates her, you name it. But if you can eliminate one of the biggest key factors for you wanting to kick your husband or wife to the curb, why wouldn't you do it when it's something so simple as, you know, finances and just monetary policy? And again, I do think most things, uh, if we're talking about relationships, because we've been together forever and obviously we've dated other people, we've seen what's worked, what hasn't worked, and hopefully we've taken the best practices and brought it to each other here, it's communication with everything. And if there's one takeaway from this, hopefully you guys, if you want, you know, more money detail stuff, we're happy to share it uh, in depth and kind of go down that rabbit hole. But I do think just communicating with your partner about everything, you know, what you need, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, uh, career wise, how much free time you need, all of those things are super important. And a lot of times you come from two different backgrounds in a lot of those arenas and, and money tends to be probably one of the biggest ones. So if you can eliminate that and make it a an anchor in your marriage and make it a stronghold as opposed to a landmine that one day is going to kind of blow everything up. You guys will be in a good spot. And all it comes down to is just you communicating, getting on the same page, having some individual goals, as well as like really important shared common goals and listening to the right people. And if you're the partner right now who, <clears throat> excuse me, has their financial shit together and the other partner is, you know, not, at your level yet, it's hard because you're the partner and they're not going to want to listen to you, even though you might be saying the exact same shit all the experts said for years. So if you can turn them on to, if it's a person like us who was talking about it openly or some of the, the podcasts and books and resources we listen to, I'm happy to point you guys in the right direction because it's like when you're a kid and your parents tell you something, you're like, oh, your mom and dad, you're stupid, you don't know anything. But then your coach or teacher tells you and you think they're a genius, it's the same example here. And it works the same for finances. So if they won't listen to you, maybe they'll listen to us. And I'm happy to point you in the right direction of people who have helped us along the way, educate us and, and help us become, you know, these people in terms of money that we are today. Book it. Cool beans? Yep. Anything else? No, that's it. Okay, cool. Thanks, man. You just see her face right now. <laughs> The joys of marriage. Uh, thank you guys, obviously, as always, for listening. Thank you guys for sharing the podcast. Thank you for all the feedback. If you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, stop. Don't be a lazy ass. Scroll down. Drop it a five-star. Leave a couple comments. The more positive, the better. Uh, if you're on Spotify, they do five-star comments right now, too. Drop us a five-star on there. We'd appreciate it. And again, as always, share it with a friend or family member you think it can help. And uh, we'll be back here. I have, I think, John Goodman coming on the podcast on the 21st, which for you guys who are looking to, if it's starting a business, if you're in the health and fitness space, this is going to be very beneficial for you. Yeah, that will be a good one. Yeah, I'm going to try to get him to talk about um, cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. Bitcoin specifically when he comes on. I think that'll be interesting as well. And I got a couple other gems coming to you. And Heather, Heather will be back here sooner than later, but she's busy. Got a lot of stuff to do. Yeah. We'll see you soon. So thank you guys as always. Thank you. Uh, until next time, eat well, train hard, be nice to people. And please, you guys, keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.